don't really have a title for this message, but if I did, it would be a question. Because I'm going to ask a question that it's loaded. What is the role of the church? And I realize that this is a huge question. And it would take many, 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 many Sundays to completely answer that question. But I think if you would ask different denominations, I would imagine you would get some variation within these answers. This isn't necessarily a bad thing because I don't believe you can answer this question with one sentence. So where would we begin? I think it's very important when I was really praying and seeking God uh, what he would have me speak on this morning. Um, I think right now in the day that we live in and the pressures that we live in as Christians, sometimes we fight to keep our identity as the body of Christ. We're attacked on several different fronts right now. And if we don't stay focused, I think it would be easy to start to lose our identity of what the church is and what is our role in this world, in the society that we live in. I've been working at Walmart for going on 25 years, and I've seen many GMs come and go. And every time we get a new GM, all the managers, they look to see what are the priorities going to be of this new GM. Because he's the one that basically sets the pace. And when we start hearing his priorities come out, we get a feel of the direction that the warehouse is going to go. So we always, every time a new one comes in, we, we wait with great anticipation to see What's going to be a priority to this new GM? And then we would have to adjust if we're not completely lined up with his vision for the warehouse. As area managers, it's our job to adjust and to align ourselves with his direction for the warehouse because he's the GM. He's the, the top guy. So I want to use the same principle in answering, starting to answer this question. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 18, Mike, I believe I gave that one to you. If you could read that for, me, for us. Thank you. So Colossians says that he is the head of the church. So in relation to what I just said about Walmart, you might look at Jesus as the GM. He is the trend center. He is the one that establishes the direction of the church because he is the head of the church. So if we wanted to understand our role or even begin to understand our role as the church, it makes sense that we would look to the head of the church to answer this question. Now, when I speak of the church, there's two different kind of aspects of it. There's the church, 
the body of Christ where we come together on Sunday morning. And then the, the church is made up of us, and we are the church. We are Christ's body. And this is going to apply to both. Our lives as individual and as the body coming together, I hate to say as an organization, but as we come together as the body of Christ, I think what we're going to look at this morning applies to both. SB Commentary, speaking on this topic, says, The body of Christ in the world is for the service and manifestation of Christ. And the body is to serve the head whose body we are. And so the head of the church is not the pastor, is not the pope. There are leaders that are put in place by the head, which is Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And that's something that we always have to keep in mind when we think of the church. If we focus too much on individuals, we will start to lose who is the head. And believe me, there is no pastor that wants to try to carry the burden that only was meant for Christ to carry. We're going to scratch the surface this morning and answer this question, but one thing we all can agree upon, I think, is that it starts with Jesus. It all begins with Jesus. Mike, if you would read the next one, and uh, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Jesus Christ. He is our foundation. He is the head. He is the foundation of the church. Everything the church does in one form or another should point to Jesus Christ, the foundation and the head of the church. Every ministry, and the church can have many different ministries, but every ministry should bring everything back to the head and to the foundation which is Jesus Christ. Everything we do, all of our motivation as the body of Christ should be the guiding factor is Jesus Christ be glorified and to bring people into contact with Jesus Christ. He is the one that transforms a life. It's not a philosophy. It's not the great teachings, but it's the things that point to Christ, and when an individual encounters Christ is where transformation takes place. So the goal of the church should be everything that we do is to bring people in contact with Christ. He is the transformer. No one changed my life. I had people that God used in my life, beautiful brothers and sisters in the Lord that were patient with me, but they always pointed towards Christ. And on the day that I surrendered, I came in contact 
with the living Savior is when my life changed in 1983, is when my life was transformed. So everything we do in the church, one form or another, should point to Christ, the foundation and the head of the church. Jesus being the head of the church and its foundation, everything he said and did revealed in the Gospels should, inc should be incredibly important to us and critical to the direction of the church. We should look to see what he said. We should look to see what he did. What were his actions? When he encountered people, how did he respond? How did he react? He is our guiding light. He is the head of the church. He is our direction. And so this should be very important to see what he said, what he did. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at, first of all, a few things that he said, and then we're going to look at something, an encounter he had with an individual. So Avery, John chapter, we're going to go right to the basics. John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18, if you could read that for me. So the first thing we see that Jesus, he gave his mission, he gave his reason for coming into this world, the reason the Father sent him into this world. I think John 3.16, you see it behind the goalposts of all the football games. It's thrown around so much that it's almost lost its impact. We've heard it so much and we're like, oh yeah, John 3.16, I've heard it a million times. But when we realize that when Jesus said, this is why I came into the world, this is why I'm here. This is why the Father sent me. And then he goes on to say, I didn't come in to condemn the world. I came in to save the world. And then you read on and he says, whoever believes in me has eternal life, but whoever rejects me stands condemned. They're already condemned. The world judgment has already came. The world is condemned. When Adam fell and sin was ushered in, all mankind stands condemned. The, the, the Bible's very clear about this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Your greatest righteousness is nothing but a filthy rag before God. The world is condemned. The reason Jesus came is because the world stands condemned and he came to be a sacrifice for a way out for all mankind. So the first thing we see that Jesus says, I, this is why I came. If this isn't a big part of who we are in Christ, as the body of Christ, we're missing something. If this isn't part of our DNA, the cross, Jesus dying for the lost, resurrecting and promising eternal life because the world stands condemned. If that is not part of our DNA, then we have lost something 
as the body of Christ. Because Christ himself, one of the first things he said is, this is why I came. Avery, if you read Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Thank you. He did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then lastly, John chapter 19, verse 28, 30. My beautiful wife is going to read it. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled So we see in the life of Jesus, he came, he proclaimed why he came. And then he, we see in the cross, he fulfilled. He said, when he has seen all things have been fulfilled, his purpose for coming had been fulfilled. To be that sacrificial lamb, that perfect sacrifice that will open the door to a condemned people, to a fallen world, will open the door for them to escape eternal damnation, being separated from God for eternity, when he seen that it was accomplished, he said, it is finished. It is finished. The purpose why I came is fulfilled. Now man. And if you read on and you look at one of the gospels, I'm not sure if it's in John, but the curtain was torn in front of the Holy of Holies. Now it was represented that all mankind could freely come into the presence of God through the sacrifice that was made upon Calvary. It is finished. If this is not part of our DNA as not only the body, but as believers, if this is not the message that burns inside of us every time we look at someone that doesn't know God, we're missing the mark because the world stands condemned. I might be beating a dead horse, but sometimes I think that we forget this. When we talk to our coworkers and they don't know Christ, you're looking at a condemned individual. You're looking at a soul that can be lost for eternity. Every relative that we speak to that doesn't know Christ, you are speaking to somebody that has a death sentence, an eternal death sentence upon their life. And that should drive us to do everything we can in how we live before these individuals that we want them to see the light of Christ in us. It should drive us to our knees to pray for these individuals that stand condemned because they have not yet accepted Christ. 
That is absolutely part and should be part of who we are. The message of the cross. Because outside of the body and the gospel and the message of the gospel, there is no hope for mankind. Zero. We are the light barriers. And that should be part of who we are in everything that we do. Because it's all going to come to an end. Everyone dies. Everyone faces eternity. No one escapes. And there's only one that defeated death. Only one that we can be assured that when it's our time, can take us through the valley of the shadow of death to the other side into life. There's only one. And we know who that is. You know how important that makes us to this world? You realize how important we are to the world because of the message that we have? Because we have experienced going from darkness to light? They look at the world, looks at people, and they, they put importance on them, the presidents and the celebrities and the, the princes and the kings and all this. But let me tell you something. I'll give you, I'll give you a, a clue. If they don't know Christ, you're way more important than they are because you have the words of life in the gospel. And when it boils down and we all come to know when we come to our end of the journey in this world, that's what's going to count and that's what's going to stand. You can be the most popular, richest person in the world, but if you don't know Christ and you didn't live for Christ, it's all for naught. The Bible puts it this way. What does it do for a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? So that makes us extremely important because of who we know and who we are in Christ and because of the gospel message that should be burning within our bones and within our heart. Jesus came to save and restore a condemned world. There's many examples of Jesus doing this in the gospels, but one of the greatest examples to me is found in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, and Alex is going to read that for us. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with the chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and the mountains and gnashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, by God, do not torment me. Uh, for he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean. 
was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported in the, it, it to, in the city and the country, and the people came out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he, did, and he did not let him, but he said to him, Go to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Oh, man, I love this encounter. I absolutely love this encounter that Jesus had with this individual. I don't know that we could find anybody in the Gospels that was in a worse state than this man was. Living in the tombs, screaming, cutting himself, absolutely tormented. Sounds like he'd been out there for a while. So they tried to catch him. They tried to put chains on him. They, no one could subdue him. And I just think about the torment. This was an individual. This was a man that was created in the image of God. Don't know what the circumstances are that got him, that, that got him to this point. But all we can look at and we can imagine the absolute absolute destruction and torment that was taking place in this individual's life. Screaming in the tombs. And it sounds like he was very well known throughout his region. The cities of that surrounding area. And here comes Jesus and the encounter takes place. I love it. He comes in counter with the giver of life. He comes running and he falls before Jesus' feet. And what does Jesus do? He restores this broken, shattered life that no one else knew what to do with. No one else. I would imagine that when people came near, they would make sure they stay clear. They might go a different route. They may go a different way. You don't want to go near this individual because they didn't know what to do with him. But Jesus comes and encounters this man in the tombs, this tormented soul. He casts out the demons and he fills them with the love and the restoration power of God. And he restores this man back to his right mind. It's just a beautiful picture. 
You know, as we drive around today, I see a lot of people that are running in the tombs that are tormented. It's always, we're always talking about it. People at work, family members, you drive through Albuquerque. I've never seen so many street people, and I've never seen so many people that have seemed to have lost their mind in mental illness. The screaming and the tormenting that takes place on the streets today in every city is overwhelming at times. But Jesus, when he encountered these tormented souls, he restored. And then the third thing I want us to look at in this is that when he restored this man, can you imagine this man that had been in the tombs for as long as he's been and tormented, as long as he's been tormented, now he is sitting in his right mind for the first time in who knows how long. And what does he do? He runs to Jesus. He wants to hang with Jesus. He wants to stay with Jesus. He wants to go with Jesus. He's sold out. He has seen the power of restoration through this man called Jesus, and he wants to be with him. He's ready to go. And I find this principle, I find this thing to be so true in 40 years of being a Christian and many of those years being in a frontline ministry, it seems like those who have been destroyed the most and restored are the ones that have the most fever for God. When you take a drug addict that has been delivered from drugs that have been bound for 20 years, it's a beautiful thing when you see them get restored by the power of God and they are so grateful. They're so on fire. All they want to do is go and proclaim what God has done in their life. It's a beautiful thing to see. This man wanted to go with Jesus. He wanted to be a part of Jesus. He wanted to be a part of what Jesus is doing. But what did Jesus say? This is one of the incidents. And a lot of times Jesus would say, follow me. And people, well, let me go bury my father. Let me go do this. He told the rich man, come, follow me. And he couldn't do it. He walked away sad. Jesus, follow me, follow me. And so many, oh, no, no, no. When it comes time to following you, there's sacrifice that's involved. I don't want to be a part of that. I just want the blessings, but I don't want the cross. I don't want to follow you. That, that, that's asking too much, Lord. Just give me what you got. This is one of the rare times that Jesus says, no, don't follow me. The man wanted to follow him. But there was a reason. He said, don't follow. I don't want you to follow me. I want you to go back to where you come from. I want you to go back and tell them what God has done for you. I want you to be a, a witness to that whole region. You know, that whole region right there was mostly a Greeks and pagans. It wasn't of Jewish people. That's why there was a bunch of pigs. You're not going to find pigs in Israel. That was a part, but this was an area that there was a lot of Greeks, a lot of pagans. And he told this man, go back, go back, show them, tell them what God has done for you. Wow. What a testimony that one is. 
This is a guy that I'm sure everybody knew about him. I'm sure that parents warned their kids, don't go near the graveyard. There is a psycho out there. He's crazy. I'm sure everybody knew about him. Now, can you imagine as this man comes walking back into these cities, the first reaction, talking normal in his right mind? There's probably a few that ran when they first saw him. But he came back as a witness of the power of the restoration of Christ. He came back as a witness of this is what happens when you encounter this man called Jesus, the one they're saying is the Messiah. Look at me. Look what happened when I encountered him. Jesus sent him back into the region to be a witness. We are called to carry on the mission of Christ as the body, as individuals. How do we do this? I want to look at this example again, and I want to use it as kind of a, a, temp, a, a template. The first thing we see is Jesus encountered the demon-possessed man. As the body of Christ, we need to align ourselves to have encounters. We need to put ourselves in places where these encounters are going to take place. We don't run from. We run to. When the world is running from, when the cities were running away, Jesus went to the man in the tombs. His life was aligned had this encounter with this individual. When everybody else was running because they had no answer, Jesus was going to. The body of Christ, we don't run from, we run to. We don't put ourselves where we are disengaged. We put ourselves in places where we will be engaged on every level. And every aspect of society, whether it's your job, whether it's your neighborhood, whether it's your family, wherever it may be, we put ourselves and line ourselves that we come encounter with people. Why? Because of the Christ, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And so that when they encounter us, they are encountering the gospel being lived out. They are encountering the gospel. They are encountering that they are encountering the Christ that dwells in us. Our life is a signpost to salvation. Our life should be a signpost to the one who can restore. So we have to align ourselves. We don't run from, we run to. One good way to do this is through hospitality. Getting involved in our communities, community outreaches. Elijah Ministry is a great example of this. We get engaged. Too long the church has sat within the four walls. And because of that, society suffer. We have the message. We have the gospel message that needs, that the world is desperate for. We have hope. 
that the world is desperate for. The second thing after the encounter, we see Jesus restored. Everything we do, we must keep in mind we are reaching out to a lost and a condemned world. We can't get too comfortable in this world and lose focus of what our mission is. We can't get so caught up in this world and the things of this world that we become ineffective, ineffective for the kingdom of God. That will always listen. In 40 years, I've seen it. I've even experienced it. A Christian that gets so caught up in this world and the things of this world, it will always lead you into a place of despair. Because everything outside of Christ is a counterfeit. You can have the new cars. You can have the beautiful homes. You can have all this stuff. But it's never enough because it's only trying to fill a hole that can only be filled with the presence and the love of God. And I've been there. I don't stand up here saying I have it. I have bought the things. I have kept up with the Joneses. No offense. <laughs> I have been through that only to come out the other end dry. Dry. What's going on? Why do I feel this way? You have, you have fallen for a counterfeit. Jesus restored. Everything we do, we must keep in mind we are reaching out to a lost and a condemned world. Listen, if we feed the hungry and we educate the uneducated, but leave the gospel message out, we have a well fed, educated sinner that is still condemned. They won't go to bed hungry that night, and they might even be able to get a better job and be educated, but if we haven't implemented the gospel message, if we haven't told them about the cross, if we haven't told them about eternity, then what have we really done? Do we... Are we called to feed the hungry? Are we called to help in these other ways? Absolutely. But the foundation of everything we do should be the gospel. If we feed the hungry, we should point the reason why we're feeding the hungry is because of Jesus Christ and what he's done of our life. If we educate the educated, we're doing it because of who Christ is in us. Everything as I said at the beginning, every ministry, everything we do needs to point to our King, our Savior, our Lord Jesus. I want to read you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish... Let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exhortations, and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. 
Man, I love that heart. I love the heart of what, what, what I hear and what he's saying. Let us do everything that we can, all of our efforts, our lives, to represent Christ in this world. And the last thing we see Jesus sent out. The man said, let me go with you. He said, no, go back. Tell all your family. Tell all your friends. Tell all those that know you before let him see who you are now and glorify God. Glorify God. So, again, what is the role of the church? It can't be answered in one sentence. It can't even be answered in one topic. This is just one part of the role of the church, and it definitely has its evangelistic tone to it. But it is an extremely important part. If it was important to Christ, that that's what he said, how he encountered people, restored people, and how he died upon the cross to make sure that we could be saved and all those that call upon him can be saved, then I think it should be pretty important to us because the, the stakes are very high. We will only know the full impact of the stakes when we go home to be with the Lord. When we see, not through clouded vision, but we see the impact that our lives had, that we had no idea, people that will rejoice when you step into the kingdom because of the impact that you had in their lives, but also the time where there wasn't impacts when there was opportunities to make impacts. I think we will have a time where we could have seen what we could have done, but we didn't. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 38. Um, Tom, if you could read that. We're about to wind it up now. He's seen the multitudes, and he was driven with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And it moved, moved him incredibly. And when he was moved within his heart, when he's seen so many people lost, so many people with no direction, he looked to his disciples and he said, pray. Pray for laborers. Pray for those that could raise up and reap a harvest for the glory of God. Do you think those fields are still pretty populated? Do you think there's a lot of people walking around, lost, no 
purpose in life, no hope in life, confused today as they were then, maybe even more. So as believers, he instructed us to do something. Pray. Pray that God would raise up laborers that would go into the fields courageously with a message of hope to a lost and a dying world. What is the role of the church? That's definitely one aspect of it. That we be a light. That we let our light shine before men that they may see our good works not to glorify us, but to glorify our Father in heaven. And then lastly, Tom, if we would read 116, Romans 116. Which 116? Yeah. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Jew. Thank you. You know, I was as I was putting together this teaching and thinking about it, I was like, man, Lord, there are so many voices, so many philosophies, so many with the, with the technical, with the social media. With so, there's so much that we get embar- just bombed with, so many things that we are in competition with. How do we make this? How do we penetrate these communities? How do we penetrate? How do we, how do we make a difference with so much that is going on? And this is what came to mind. I believe that this is where God led me. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of salvation unto mankind. You see, no matter what is coming our way, no matter how many philosophies are out there, no matter how many false teachers, no matter how many false gods, there's only one message that has the power to break down all walls. And that is the message of the gospel. Jesus Christ, he died upon the cross. He resurrected to save a condemned world. That can penetrate. If we venture out, if we pray for courageous hearts and we start living it and we start proclaiming this message, I think we would be surprised by the the response that we would get because this is the message that brings hope. And there's not no me- very few messages out there that even resembles anything like hope. It's all narcissistic, materialistic. It's all the things that leaves a life dry and in despair. The message that we have brings life, and it brings eternal life. It's unique to Jesus Christ. And so we have to get it out to the world. I'm going to close. It's a couple of scriptures. I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but it talks about how we have been transformed from darkness to light. That, our, that we are, were once condemned, but now we are alive in Christ. Man, if anything, let that sink in of what God has done for us. Let it sink in. Because when it does, you know what it does? It should make us the most joyful people on the face of the planet. Because we know this is all temporary 
and we have eternal life in Christ Jesus. So when people see us, they should see that. They should see it in our life, the joy, the contentment that we have because of we have come from darkness. We have come from condemnation. We have come into life. Let it shine that people might ask, why are you so happy when everybody else is so sad? Why do you have so much joy when everywhere they look around, they don't see joy? That's the light. It comes from knowing who we were, but now who we are. And that's a witness of the love and the mercy and the grace and the redeeming power of God through Christ Jesus. Father, we come before you, Lord God, and we do rejoice and thank you. You have taken us. You have taken us out of miry clay. None of us deserved your love. None of us deserved heaven. None of us deserved redemption. But through your love, in, in the very beginning, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Through your love, you extended to us. You rescued us from eternal eternity without you. We thank you, Lord. But Lord, we don't want to just... Hold it within ourselves. We want to spread it out to all those around us who were in the same situation we were, that they may have that opportunity to experience God's redemptive love through Christ. Lord, help us not to lose focus of what we're called to do Help us to not lose focus and get our eyes upon this world. But help us to stay focused on the mission of why you came into this world in the first place. And use us for your glory. And use us to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.